Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast, the only board game podcast in the world to have solved the mystery of Stonehenge. Have we? Yeah, we have. What is it? Well, I, I'm not going to tell people what the solution is. They have to figure that out for themselves. Look, if I told people what the mystery to Stonehenge was, uh-huh. right, then we get all these clicks and views. And we're not about clicks and views, Elaine. We're about board game reviews. Uh, sorry, but a podcast can't really have views. I don't mean to pick you up on a small detail. But... That doesn't matter. You're, 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 you're focusing on the wrong thing. The right thing is board games and the other right thing is reviews and that's what we do uh are you ready for some board game uh no pun included news yes okay so there's some no pun included news not a lot so first of all uh we did a video called a review of everything too many bones with a length of 59 minutes and 50 seconds uh i was very upset by that i thought we'd finally crack the one hour review not because there's anything good about having a review that's one hour long but i thought well you know i'll have done it but it was 10 seconds too short and i refused to uh embiggen it so uh, artificially extended yeah yeah uh-huh. it was exactly the length that it needed to be and i was like happy with that yeah i got quite a, a lot from it so it would have been longer if i you know kept uh-huh. the guff uh-huh. in but uh-huh. i didn't also we cut out like a scene and a half yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was stuff that didn't make it into it but that's that's a good thing that's not a bad thing having said that yes i do want to give a couple of updates on that video uh-huh. uh, specifically minor corrections that i normally wouldn't uh, bring up but since this was a, such a comprehensive review there were a couple of things that i thought are humorous enough to bring up okay. and, and also sort of updates people on, on the video as it were for those who have seen it right uh-huh. so update number one i have said in the video that uh, 40 Days in Day Law and Age of Tyranny were part of the first wave of the Kickstarter yes. uh, for Too Many Bonds. They were not. They okay. were actually part of the second wave. They came with Undertow. They were less, here's all the other stuff that comes with it and more like community requested things. I see. So that, that, I don't know how I did that. I guess, I don't know why in my brain I thought they were p- part of the first campaign. I was convinced that they were. I right. just think you had a lot to look at overall mm. and there were bound to be some kind of minor slip-ups. I think so. Plus, plus I didn't know anything about it. I played it a total of once and had little interest in it. So I wasn't even there to kind of go, oh, no, I don't think this is right or mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. whatever. So you you were kind of on your own with it. You even had to show me like what B-roll scenes yeah. needed to be done. So normally, happen. Normally when we uh, do B-roll, so you film all the B-roll for right. our videos and normally I just hand you the script and go, well, you know, you know what to do. Right. Take care of that. In this case, it was not only an hour long video. <laughs> it was a video where I had to also sit there for the B-roll process and be like, okay, this is this and this is that. Yeah. And this is what we're there doing. were pages of notes that I'd made yeah. of like what to film. It was a long process. That was such a big project. Um, so, so there's a couple of other things. Mm-hmm. Both of them relate to Dart. Yes. Uh, so one is I made a rules error in terms of yes. Dart in the video. I can assure you that over my 30 plays, I've made many more rules errors. But this is the one that popped out in the video as an obvious rules error. I said that Dart exhausts her attack dice whenever she attacks mm-hmm. with them. Uh, that's in fact not true. She only exhausts attack dice if she uses one of her skills, that being her agents or like whatever poisons that she imbues Mm -hmm. 
her attacks with, I still think she's rubbish. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't change my opinion on Dodd whatsoever. Uh, but the other thing was that I said uh, that she had a companion called Bore Apostrophe D, the obvious, because it's, it's a board game that would be the obvious joke and therefore not funny. Turns out I was wrong. Yeah, a lot of people picked you up on that, <laughs> yeah. saying that it was dartboard. It was dartboard. So here's the thing. Okay, I made that mistake in the video, and the joke's on me, haha. But, but can I just say that the joke dartboard is perhaps worse <laughs> than bore apostrophe D being a board in a, a bore in a board game, right? So. I think I made the joke funnier than it actually was, and it still didn't count as funny. You know, once on uh, our friend Paul's uh, live stream, I uh -huh. made a joke so bad, no one in the chat, right? Uh -huh. uh, no one in chat picked up that it was actually actually a joke, because uh -huh. Paul said, I, I'm going, I was going back from Ireland this way, and I said, were you angry when you went back from Ireland? The joke being that Aya land has the word Aya, which... Is, is also a synonym for angry. angry. Uh, that that's how bad the dartboard joke is. Mm -hmm. I didn't even pick up on the fact uh -huh. that it's a joke. So shame on Chip Theory Games. Uh, <laughs> not shame on Chip Theory Games. I uh, think it's quite a good joke. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I like darts. Yeah. Well, okay. To do a complete one hundred and eighty. Way. <laughs> Uh, that was good. Wasn't it? Uh -huh. Chip Theory Games did a cool thing where uh, we highlighted some of the uh, environmental aspects of a campaign like Too Many Bones, uh, specifically this new campaign for their standalone expansion, Unbreakable, mentioning that there are a lot of components that are duplicated, not once but twice by now, because mm. people who own the core game and the other standalone expansion already have all of that stuff twice. And this new set is going to add, again, all of that yeah. stuff a third time and of course they also mentioned that if you get their trove chest which is the sort of storage solution you will only not unbreakable <laughs> you will only be able to store components from one set oh no meaning you have to throw everything oh, else away no. anyway anyway so uh, in, in a very recent update they have said that they will be offering a version only to game found backers yeah. that is the same cost of of too many bones unbreakable, uh -huh. but does not feature a duplication of oh, components. Oh, hey, that's good. That's good. Uh, I do want to commend them for doing that. That's really impressive. But I also want to urge Super Theory Games to to carry that ethos forward in their future campaigns. And and I also want to say thank you for our comment section for uh, not like I instructed being mean to Chip Theory Games, apart from one person <laughs> who I didn't spot in the replies, because YouTube doesn't show you when someone replies to a comment. Yes. Like I get alerts for comments, but I don't get alerts for like replies to comments. And whilst I do check those, it, it's taken me a while to spot that. There was one person being quite mean, so I just removed them permanently mm. from, from the right to comment. There we go. So apologies to Chip Theory for that. Finally, there's a new video coming out next week. Uh, if you're listening to this, the video will be out next week. I'm not going to say what the game is, but I haven't been so excited to tell people about a board game in a very long while. So get ready. This is going to be a cool one. The video is going to have a board game. The video is going to have well, yeah. an Efka oh. and also an Elaine. What? And maybe a Bessie if she meanders her way into the video. At yeah. Some point. So if you like all these things, <laughs> you might like this video. <laughs> board games we're going to be talking about today, Efka? Free board games, as wow. per usual. Today we're talking about Dinosaur Island 
raw and right. Mm -hmm. I see what they did there. Mm -hmm. uh, Mobile Markets, a smartphone ink game. Mm -hmm. And Great Western Trail, second edition. Second edition. Let's talk about Dinosaur Island, rawr, and right. Dinosaur Island, rawr, and right, has been sent to us by publisher Pandasaurus Games, yes. along with a whole host of other boxes called Dinosaur World and the many expansions for Dinosaur World, which itself is a sequel to Dinosaur Island, their previous game, with many expansions. And also, this Dinosaur Island, raw and right, is a raw, roll and right... <laughs> Into implementation of Dinosaur Island. Confused yet? No. Okay, good. No. Uh, it's fairly straightforward. There's one game. Now there's another game that's like that one game. But and it's also, a and, right. But it's a rolling right. Yeah. And there's another game that's like that one game. But it's now a bit of a different game. Yes. We haven't played Dinosaur World yet. No. And I'm sure we will deliver some verdicts on it in the future. Uh, but right now, I'd like to say, as someone who was never much a fan of Dinosaur Island... I enjoyed Dinosaur Island, Roy and Wright, quite a bit. I threw away the sheets of our scoring because I did so poorly and was so embarrassed by it. Really? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, no. <laughs> I like to keep all of the I sheets in do. the box. I, I don't know why. It serves no do. purpose whatsoever. Well I, well, I guess you can check like how, bet how much better you did the next time or how much worse you did the next time. Um, but I threw them away in disgust at how... How badly I'd done. To those listening to the podcast, not being familiar with why there are sheets in a board game and what is a roll no, and write right. or a raw and write, uh, it's a genre of board games where you roll some dice or flip some cards, get some results, and then draw those results onto a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. uh, Dinosaur Island is perhaps the worst representation of that genre because <laughs> it, the only thing that it has in common with that genre is that there are dice mm -hmm. and you do roll them and you do write some things on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And th most of your stuff happens on two sheets of paper, yes. in fact, this time around. But it feels less like a roll and write and feels more just like a board game that's taken on the shape of a roll and write. Yeah, it has the mechanism of having a roll and write in it because you roll dice and then you write something but it also has dice drafting and other things and it's not worker placement kind of worker placement it's yeah. not the kind of core element of it uh but you do draw and you don't even get to draw dinosaurs in this no one. so uh, I long, mean, you could i guess but longtime viewers of our youtube channel might remember us doing a review of a game that nobody remembers <laughs> called welcome to dino world uh, yeah. uh, not to be confused with the sequel Dino World to Dinosaur Island because this is by a different publisher. Oh my. And whilst this Welcome to Dino World is a roll and write, it is in no way affiliated with Dinosaur <laughs> no. Island Raw and Write. <laughs> Completely different games. Yeah. Um, uh, can you guess thing. what they all have in common? Dinosaurs. And all riffing on Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, that's it's, true. It, it's a park yeah, with yeah, yeah. dinosaurs. But, yeah. I mean you're you are scientists in this. Well no, you're not scientists. You're you're kind of scientists. You're but you're no, also, you're capitalists. Yeah, yeah, you're you're more capitalists because you're capitalizing on the fact that people like dinosaurs and mm -hmm. they want to go and see dinosaurs in a park. That you draw. That you well, I mean that you don't draw them in real life. It, I mean you do draw them in real life, but in the game yeah. terms you don't 
draw them, there are actual dinosaurs that you are breeding and like experimenting with their DNA and creating. So you're not... What could go wrong? Well, exactly, right? And uh, in this game, you will be uh, rolling dice, drafting them, uh, which means you're, you're taking one, then someone else is taking one of the one that's rolled. Uh, then you take one, then the other person takes one and so on. Uh, and then you will place those dice uh, in action spaces so that you can do various actions like making dinosaurs where you draw dinosaur pens and fill them with dinosaurs or uh, you can uh, get security for your park because if you have things like Tyrannosaurus rexes then you're going to need some like I don't know barbed wire or I don't know how you stop a T-Rex I, I have no knowledge of of that kind of thing probably barbed wire um, I think there's probably a YouTube tutorial if you want to brush is, up yeah. on or those maybe skills a skill show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah probably someone's done something on YouTube for it or you can you can draw roads and you build roads things like that and then you'll run your park. So you'll have done all this thing, these things and then you will run your park. So you will get points for like excitement of your park and you get more excitement. It doesn't even matter if you don't have a dinosaur in it. If you've got like merchandise stands, right, mm -hmm. where you sell T-shirts and you've got burger stands, then you'll still get excitement for your park. Even though there's no dinosaurs. No, even if you take yeah. all your... So you run a tour at some point also, mm. So uh, which means that basically you start at your headquarters and you go through the park and you kind of draw it not in real life but you draw mentally a line through all of your exhibits so the dinosaur pens and merchant stands and food stands and blah blah and rides as well there's mm. ride dinosaur rides because it's not exciting enough to walk into a park and see like a t-rex you have to have a, a roller coaster right pterodactyl teacups and <laughs> things like that right the actual thing uh, the game. Uh, you have to have that kind of thing to, to generate excitement and the more excitement you make the, the better and the more points you're going to get but then after all that has happened uh there is like this threat where people may or may not get eaten if you've not secured your pens enough then the dinosaurs will eat the people uh-huh um, and, and that might be a good thing so i had this strategy where i had like uh you can you can hire different people mm. so there's free people that are always available there's a security chief mm -hmm. uh geneticist or something uh -huh. like that and then an architect, I think. Sure. Uh, so you can always hire these people, right, to make your park better. But there's always, uh, in any game you play, there'll be a random array of free other people mm -hmm. you can hire that are a bit more expensive, but they unlock, like, various abilities for your yes. park. Uh, so one of the th people I hired is a social media manager who <laughs> yes. basically said, like, the higher your threat is, the more excitement people generate, uh -huh. because apparently the social media manager will post about all the gruesome deaths that happened in I your guess. park, <laughs> and, guess. like, your park becomes more popular because that's how social media works. I mean, that would be a social media type story, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like a man gets eaten by dinosaur. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so what I liked about this immediately was that it retained the humor of dinosaur island which is something that i think okay there's there's something i want to mention about the thematic implementation first that i don't think quite works and that is to do with the production of dinosaur island roar and riot and mm. dinosaur world in general mm. the whole series of games because for me they so very clearly rip on you know jurassic park but uh jurassic park at its core like at least the first film was always very clearly about like uh, it's a cautionary tale about, yes. you know, the folly of excess. Hubris. Yeah, hubris, <laughs> basically, right? Like, has capitalism gone too far? Yes. Yes. And Are we messing with genes too much? Probably. Uh, yeah. And actually, the, the writer of the novel, 
yes. of Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton, has been known to have some very weird views that are best left alone. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Don't. Uh, okay. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure Steven Spielberg in, in his adaptation maybe does, didn't exactly share. I don't, I don't know much about Steven Spielberg. I have no idea. I just I think... I saw Jurassic Park at the pictures. Well, good. I don't think... I, I'm not sure. I, it was too long ago. I don't uh -huh, remember where uh -huh. I've seen it. But I remember the hype because it was the first time they used uh, computer... CGI? CGI, yeah, like uh, to make dinosaurs on uh -huh. telly, right? <laughs> okay. And everyone was like, whoa, these dinosaurs look realer than puppets. And I'm like, no way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was there was a lot of excitement for Jurassic Park when it came out because people people liked dinosaurs oh, all the way back then. More, more so than that uh, film Dinosaurs with the puppets. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know the, the one. Weird you mean. baby dinosaur. Yeah, yeah no, okay. that was. I didn't. <laughs> I did not with, rate that highly. With the nappy on. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, so people were excited. I remember being excited, but like, at, at a, it's a very popcorny film. But at a basic level, you know, it's it's like this is this is the folly of excess. Mm -hmm. And here comes dinosaur world, the Kickstarter, mm -hmm. with not only you know like one game with lots of plastic and blinged up components, but also like free expansions and a standalone roll and ride mm -hmm. game. You know, mm -hmm. and I never actually expected much with from dinosaur island raw and right because apart from a great title you know it was kind of like a secondary product in a kickstarter campaign mm -hmm. how good could it be better than dinosaur island the original game as it turns out because it does broadly the same thing it has the same uh thematic tones yes. that it hits but in a more sort of compacted package that feels like it delivers the same experience but in a in a less messy, less expansive way. Because the original mm. Dinosaur Island took up the entire table. Yeah. And there were like six phases. And in each phase was like its own minigame and whatever. This feels like a more cohesive design that's sort of compacted and, and retains that same humor that it wants to deliver. That same like, you know, dinosaurs and Jurassic Park. Isn't it funny? Yes, maybe. I, I feel like it's a very tongue-in-cheek game mm -hmm. with, with things like the social media manager. Yes, you exactly. Know, it, it, yeah. It's a very self-aware that it's a silly theme. It's a very meta game as well in that regard. I, I guess, guess, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things that I do want to touch on uh, that I didn't still quite mm. like mm -hmm. about Dinosaur Island Raw and Right because it felt like, oh, this... There's, there's still some things that should be fleshed out better. So first of all, this does feel like a big game. And you can tell from just the fact that you get not one sheet, but two. Mm -hmm. But also there's this whole like cumbersomeness of it that doesn't feel as cohesive as it should be. So I, I'm going to touch on that in just a bit. I want to, I do want to mention a couple of things I did like. Mm -hmm. What I enjoyed, I think, is, is the sort of narrative storytelling throughout the game. And we touched on that a little bit, but I also kind of enjoyed the... Uh, the scope of planning throughout the game mm -hmm. uh, because there's some neat touches. So uh, first of all, uh, you do draft dice and whatever is on the die, you immediately get. But there's there's these nice little moments like in a two-player game, for example, there's five dice and we draft four of those five right. dice and the die that's left over uh, is something that both players get. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a, a double-edged sword there as well because uh, not only is it something we're both going to get, mm -hmm. but also each die has a fret level on it. And the more fret level on the die that is left over, the more fret gets added to everyone's parts, mm -hmm. meaning you have to worry about security more, which might not necessarily be easily attainable. 
but also the higher the threat level, the worse the resource that is left on that die. Yes. So it creates this sort of weird mind game. Is I think it works especially well between two players because it's like the prisoner's dilemma. If we leave the very good die uh -huh. for both of us to receive, not only are we both going to get a good thing, but also there's very little threat on it, right? Mm. So it's a win-win. Mm. And as long as both people keep playing along, that's fine. But as soon as one person goes, actually, I don't mind the high threat. I'm going to take this very good die. Yeah. You know, the pact is sort of broken and the gameplay shifts. And I like that. I like that little sort of in-baked prisoner's dilemma mechanism that you don't even notice that mm. is there. It just sort of emerges as you play. So that was a really cool, nice touch. Uh, but also the fact that resources feel pretty scarce and certainly at the beginning yeah. yeah certainly at the beginning and and you're always kind of trying to match manage this puzzle of like well if i get a bunch of cool dinos that are going to get me a bunch of cool points uh will i have too much threat will too mm. many people die will i get too many penalties and it feels hard to map everything out so you kind of have to play it by feel and sometimes just go you know what? Let's just see what happens, right? Mm. Let's just let's just draw a Tyrannosaurus and <laughs> and you know, things might be bad, you don't know. And on that level, I think Dinosaur Island Raw and Right works really well. Where it didn't work for me was the cumbersomeness of the drawing mm. and and sort of the weird I don't know, like the weird situations it created in terms of uh gameplay where uh, drawing dinosaurs is an action. So you draft your dice yes. and then you put those dice onto the five action spots in the game. One of those action spots is draw up to four dinosaurs, yes. right? Of course, to maximize efficiency, you want to get all the resources so you can actually spend those DNA resources to draw the four dinosaurs. But then every time you draw a dinosaur that you haven't had before, you have to draw a new building for it on your massive board. <laughs> and where you draw buildings matters because you have to connect them via roads. And if you do it efficiently, you also have to connect them to exits. And the better exits that are further away you connect them to, the more points you get. And because there's only like effectively uh, three rounds in a game, yes. you want to kind of, you know, get those exits in a maximized way. And so there's a lot of thinking going on into your drawing thinking that you have to do whilst everyone waits for you to finish your turn and it's not just one building you're, you're drawing like four buildings mm. so you have to figure out where the road's gonna go and especially if you haven't played this game before it's like someone takes a turn going i'm gonna draw some dinosaurs and the other person goes okay i'm gonna go make a cup of tea because yeah this doesn't concern me i have nothing to do and yeah, you're on a load screen here, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and that felt very, very odd. And honestly, it felt odd that drawing dinosaurs was an action to begin with. I felt mm. like, wouldn't it be better? Like, considering that Rolling Rides are games where everyone just goes silent for a while and doodles their individual puzzle, wouldn't it make sense to have, like, a communal... This is the, Draw dinosaur, right? Yeah, the phase where you're phase, drawing the dinosaurs, yeah. right? And you could tell that they wanted to minimize the downtime because the iconography for the dinosaurs that you're drawing yeah. is, is a just... A letter. Yeah, a letter, <laughs> right? And I remember playing Welcome to Dino World and one of the cheerful parts, as convoluted as that game was, mm. one of the cheerful parts of it was that you had these little doodles of what the dinosaurs actually looked mm. like and they were done in such a way that I, I could do I could doodle that. Uh -huh. You know, I, uh -huh. I could totally do that doodle. Uh -huh. I could draw this like little pen. Yeah, it was a cartoony type doodle, wasn't it? Yeah, and 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 I could do this little doodle. Here, there there are no sort of 
visual clues yeah. as to what the dinosaur looked like, apart from maybe, I guess, the artwork. Right, on um, the rule book or on, on the, the box? Yeah, on, yeah both. Yeah. But there's no more art, there, there is no artwork, not, no, on, the not sheets, on the sheets, no. Anywhere or in any cards that says, you know, I guess everyone knows what a velociraptor looks like, or so you think. If they've watched Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. But they don't because of the feathers, yeah, right? Yeah, I know, like we right. don't, Maybe that's why they did it. So this game is like future-proof. So I, that if I don't in, think that's why they did it. If in five years' time we discover, you know, that T-Rex has actually had wings or whatever, then, oh, okay, well, that doesn't matter because it's mm. not depicted anywhere on here. Having said that, uh, I, I should probably give out a shout-out to the park in Crystal Palace in London. Oh, yes. Uh, which is a park where they have sculptures of dinosaurs. It's amazing. But but the sculptures were built in like Victorian times. So I it's, think they're replicas of the Victorian ones. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're still the older ones. Maybe. Maybe they restore them or something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, they they do not look like dinosaurs. No. One of the dinosaurs looks like a moose. <laughs> yes, uh, it does. And some of them look like capybaras. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> that's what they thought they looked like. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. And I enjoyed going there a lot mm. and seeing what Victorians thought dinosaurs looked like. We took a bunch of our friends yeah, there who visited London and they were like, this is all right. Yeah. And I'm going, wow, look at this thing. Look at this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it's a funny, funny kind of thing. Yeah. If you have some time in London. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's far though. Like it yeah. takes like an hour on the tube to get there. Because there's no really convenient east. tube that goes to Crystal no. Palace. Yeah. No, you have to take like the Docklands Line. The overground. Rail yeah. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. crumbs. Yeah. Anyway. It, it, it's not convenient to get to. But, you know, it's there uh, yeah. and you can visit it for free. We're not talking about the game. We're not. Um, but should we talk about the game a bit more? Sorry, right. we got a bit distracted by dinosaurs, I think. There. How do you feel about Dinosaur Island Raw and Right? Because I said a lot. What, mm. what, what's your hot take on it? I enjoyed playing it with you. Uh-huh. But I'm not sure it would be a game that I would get out again and again. Can you confirm my suspicion? Mm. Is it because you feel the game feels wonky? It does. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. It does so. feel wonky. Like the so so you can take the same action as someone else uh-huh. and you can take the same action twice as mm-hmm. long as you take there's like a minor penalty of getting more threat if you if you do do Which that. Which might not even be a penalty. No. Yeah. Um but I what I felt was a little bit wonky. So what I, what I like about it is that you don't score any points during the game. All the points are done at the end, mm-hmm. right? So that means that uh, when you do go out of an exit and you, you're potentially going to score these points, you don't score them immediately. You only score them at the end. So potentially as well, that a building, a route to that exit might get destroyed and then you won't get those points, right? So I quite like that, that everything is done at the end. But... What I did find hard to kind of balance and which took a long time. And I think that was my problem with it, that things took a long time to kind of work out mm. was that um, like like the drawing of the dinosaurs mm. was that they're on the excitement track. Uh, the more excitement you get, potentially you get little bonuses. So it might be a coin. It might be mm. um, DNA. It might be something else. Right. Uh, it might be security and uh, you get whatever you tick off you get that every time uh, you run your park uh, and I could never kind of work out the balance of which actions I needed to take yeah. versus what I was going to get kind of for free because I'd already ticked it off because you get bonuses immediately as you tick them off as well on other parts of the sheets yeah so, and I just couldn't 
do that kind of maths quickly, which would be fine in like a long Euro game uh -huh, <laughs> where you're working uh -huh. stuff out continuously. But in a kind of quick fire roll and write game, it, it kind of felt out of place a little it bit. It felt clunky. Um, it the, did, The yeah. fact that there's this, this excitement phase where you get all the bonuses once again, um, I mean, that feels, feels rewarding. It's very generous. It's very generous, but... Uh, and it, it creates that sort of freewheeling feel of, I don't know what's going to happen, but heck it, you know, let's just, <laughs> let's just see, you know, uh -huh. is it, is this too much threat? Maybe, you know, mm -hmm. let's not spend too much time mathing it out. On the one hand, I can see someone mathing it out. Yeah. On the other hand, also, when you get all these bonuses, so you get coins or you get roads, you know, especially coins, there's so many different things you can spend coins mm. on and you kind of have to plan what you're spending these coins mm. on, but you can't see, oh, I'm going to like get that many, where, do, you know, you get these coins one at a time and you go, okay, this one goes here and that one goes there. And it feels like it slows once the game, yeah. once again, the game down. Yes. Uh, but also it feels like it just is being too finicky in terms that there's this weird thing where each time you get a coin, you can sort of put it in a temporary holding space yeah. where you can assign it later. But for some reason, the game says, oh, but you can only do that five times. Yeah. Otherwise, just write it in immediately. And I think what the game wants you to do is to not think about what you're doing, mm. which to I me so, yeah. is kind of weird because they created a big thinky game, but they want you to sit down and not think about it. And I think... I suspect that the reason they don't want you to think about it is because if you think about what you're doing too much strategically, the game falls apart. Yeah, but it did make me make some quite naff decisions at some point mm -hmm. uh, because I was crossing things off and then I realized I was never going to reach the uh, coin amount to get the extra specialists or whatever because I'd ticked off too many things randomly because I didn't know what to do with these coins and I needed to put yeah, them somewhere yeah, 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 right yeah. now because you're waiting for the next round to begin and I'm still thinking about what I'm going to do. So, um, yeah. Hey, at least that part's done simultaneously with other players, you know? So so unlike drawing the dinosaurs, this at least happens at the same time when both people are going, let's now think about where all these things go, right? Uh, but yeah, no, I, I feel like I would recommend Dinosaur Island Raw and Right if you're specifically looking for that Jurassic Park-themed roll and write game uh and in that category we only have to welcome to dino world and dinosaur island raw and write mm. and i think this, this is a better game i think this one's a more fun game yeah. it, you know uh mechanically welcome to dino world was very robust but i remember it just being tedious slow and not fun mm. whereas this is more freewheeling it is fun and it is yeah. fun yeah it so fun. i would say if you're if you're specifically looking for that experience, so far out of the three games in this whole line, this one's my favorite. Mm -hmm. But I haven't played Dinosaur World yet, so we'll see. We'll see. Elaine, guess yes. what the common through line of this episode is? Um, pass. Spin-offs. Oh. Because uh, every okay. single game featured today is technically a spin-off. Mobile markets. Well, you know, okay, Great Western Trail, second edition is a yeah, spin-off of it, the 
Is it Fraser or is it Joey? <laughs> That's the question. Well, we'll find out later. Uh, now we're talking about mobile markets, which is a smartphone in-game uh, mm. designed by Ivan Larshin, uh, whom you might be familiar from Smartphone Inc. Uh-huh. And the, the non-spin-off. The non-spin-off game uh-huh. uh, of Smartphone Inc. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is the spin-off game of Smartphone Inc. It's called Mobile Markets. Uh, it is aesthetically so naff. <laughs> It is well, the naffest. Yeah. People people have to see the artwork in this game to believe it. And this is not a knock against the artist. Well, they right? don't. They can just Google stock images of phones and then they will know. <laughs> or what people, the, holding people holding phones. phones. But here's the thing. It's not stock images of people holding phones. It's someone's artistic re-implementation yes. of stock images of people holding phones. Yes. Which leads me to think that this entire game is satire yes Be- maybe that's the theme tongue-in-cheek right? yeah mm-hmm. right because there's no way there's no way that whoever designed this game felt like smartphones <laughs> aren't they cool let's make a board game yeah about selling smartphones because if that sounds naff i can guarantee you that mobile markets delivers that naffness like multiplied 20 times mm. and and sort of shoves it in your face and mm. makes you go this has to be satire this <laughs> okay cards on the table still not show it's satire mm. but i feel like it's satire right because so many funny things happen in this game in terms of the scope of play uh but also i am aware that some people might be wondering that those people who have played smartphoning uh this game says it's a smartphone in-game, it has the same designer, uh, it's even got smartphone ink in the title. Mm-hmm. Is this the same game? The answer is yes and no, right? So the, the main difference here is that whilst Smartphone Inc. was, I believe, a one to five player game, I'm, I don't want to say it was one, I'm, I can't remember if it has a solo mode or not. I think it does, yeah, because it has a bot. Yeah, okay. So, so this is a one to four player game. But more importantly, Smartphone Inc. had this sort of big board with many spaces and you cornering various different geographical markets mm. with your smartphone conglomerate expansion, <laughs> right? Uh, here... There is no board. There's more just a tableau, which means that Mobile Markets is a game that removes the area control element, but sort of retains the feel and mechanisms of Smartphone Inc. Mm. and brings it to a more two-player friendly fashion, which is funny because Smartphone Inc. also has an expansion called 1.1 something something because it's like an update get it that has like a two to three player board that makes it more compact and better for two to three players but it's still it's still a more area controlly game here there's not that this is more just like a tableau of things and you try and build your engine this is a bit more kind of multiplayer solitaire because you're building your own board and you're building your own cards and you're you've got a shared kind of space where cards will come from and and be drawn to Mm. but then you're taking that and building your own thing yeah there's there's a striking difference here that whilst it is technically a more multiplayer solitaire Mm. game and it technically a more two-player friendly game, Mm. uh, there's still one element of it that is incredibly competitive and incredibly involved. And that one element is... Well, there's more elements that are more competitive, but that element is turn order and how turn order relates to taking Mm. customers, where this is one of the most aggressive multiplayer solitaire (laughs) games I've ever played, where 
you either have, in a two-player game, you either have a great turn or a or it falls flat completely. terrible turn mm. where you just watch yourself getting completely stomped and sort of the anticipation of what's going to happen is is very much synonymous with also smartphone ink because yeah. that was very much also a game of like i'm gonna i'm gonna turn some dials and yeah. i'm gonna set them to settings mm. and then when the oven starts cooking something's gonna happen right but i can't remember what i've put in the oven yeah but hopefully it's at the end of it this is not going to be a burnt turkey right yeah. that's it's, the it's like buying a tin with the label that's fallen off you know <laughs> you could get peaches or you could get uh mushy peas yeah and you're not quite sure which until you open it i i quite like that the fact that this isn't an area control that this is uh, you're not competing for markets necessarily mm -hmm. you're competing for um what you've built onto your phone yes like and your and individual customers that you're selling to who want various different things so maybe they're willing to pay a high price or maybe and or maybe they want, you know, a good camera or maybe they want 4G or 5G, whatever it is, mm. uh, or Wi-Fi or I don't know what phones have, that kind of stuff. But it's all those... Well, <laughs> just say Wi-Fi. <laughs> yes. You, know, you need, you need Wi-Fi on a phone, right? Yeah, you kind of assume that it comes by default now. Well, I right, okay. But you have different customers that want different things. So there are three different types of customers. The, the first type of customer just wants like a basic phone. Like they uh -huh. just want to pay a price. They don't want to pay more than a price, right? Yeah. They just want a phone and they don't want to pay more than a price. Or there's another type of customer that will either pay like a low price or a higher price, but you must meet their requirements. And then there is a third customer that will pay a higher price, but you must meet their requirements. Yes. Right. Um, so the, the puzzle... They are the fancy customers. Exactly. The puzzle comes together by... You get these like weirdly shaped... I want to say like a lowercase b shaped finger magic, cardboard finger magic with uh -huh. various symbols. So there's five symbols on each side, uh -huh. right? If that makes sense. Uh -huh. So, so yeah. the square forms the bottom part of the uh -huh. b, and uh -huh. the one sticky out bit forms uh -huh. the top part of the b. And you get two of these, and you have to, the rules say, overlay them on top of each other uh, so that at least one square overlays, right? Mm. And for the number of squares, you get overlaid that's how many phones you make mm. plus from various other things you make phones and then the 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 other squares that are not overlaid might also be how many phones you make or might affect your phone's price or might affect what technologies mm -hmm. you can purchase mm -hmm. or what might affect what marketing abilities you can purchase or might affect turn order <laughs> uh, which uh -huh. is also tied into the price and these all these things and all you have to do is put like two things one on top of the other and you go how hard can that be turns out you sit there for like five minutes literally right going <laughs> well if i put this on here then i get that, that oh but i don't quite get that but then what if I move that? Oh, I don't get that and anymore. And you're doing this secretly. Yeah. So you don't know what the other player is choosing. So you might be trying to get a low price to fulfill a goal or to, to be able to sell to more people. Um, so you're pricing low. And then the other player has also priced low. So you're still not going first in turn order. Yeah. And that's so frustrating. You, you touched on a really important thing. So your phone's price, mm. base cost per unit, base price per unit, right, is your turn order mm. so the lower your price the faster you were gonna go uh -huh. right in many of the game's elements yeah. not all of them because there's one element where it's like reverse turn order but the ones that matter you want to basically have the lower price <laughs> right. but you're not making as much money mm. and money per is unit, victory points yeah. yeah and then on top of that 
like the price that you said is not actually the money you're gonna get per phone sold mm. you still have to like slot in features and those might or might not increase how much you're losing per unit right. because you could actually generate negative money in per theory, yeah. unit sold which would be devastating mm -hmm. but possible but in this possible. game mm. and i don't know maybe there's a strategy where that works out somehow i have no idea but yeah so there's there's all these like different things you have to weigh up like okay i could set my price low but then i'm not making that much money or not you know or like i can't have these features or mm. uh you know who am i gonna sell to how many people i'm gonna sell to if i make all these goods will i be able to sell all these goods yeah. or do i you don't get to keep them they just yeah. fizzle out if you don't manage to sell them all they just go away yeah exactly you don't get to keep anything between rounds no. apart from like cards that are like various abilities mm. that you've accrued and so this is a really nice compelling puzzle that i think people who've played smartphoning will immediately not alarm bells will mm. start to go off but more like familiarity bells mm. will start to go off if that makes sense like it sounds very similar and it is and the tension comes from this array of customers that are on the board that elaine has mentioned you know the three types of customers mm -hmm. but basically whoever goes first gets to hoover up these customers <laughs> yeah oh yeah right oh yeah and then the people going next there's like the dregs left uh -huh. right so if you priced high and you're going second then there's not a lot left but at least you priced high so right. you're getting more per unit and maybe you didn't get that many phones sold but you spent your resources on getting other abilities or uh -huh, whatever right uh -huh. that might be good but if you priced low but just slightly higher than the other person you've got nothing left no one to sell to well you can still sell them but you're selling them at a loss effectively because you can still sell to the people that are willing to pay seven or eight but what if there's four, no people right? who are buying well, yeah, yeah that's the no, thing that's right true. but you're yeah. still yeah it's it's a very tough puzzle uh, uh, because you're not just working with against the game you're working against the other players and what they're doing yeah uh, and that is a really tricky head scratcher mm. and but one that i enjoyed i enjoyed it as well but i think i have to say i'm leaning towards out of these two games mm. i'm leaning towards smartphone ink as an experience oh, yeah. rather than mobile markets i felt something a little bit more cohesive and less all or nothing from smartphone ink mm. i felt like there were many different and and we've only played this once so this is this is definitely a first impressions this was not sent to us by a publisher this is no. something uh a friend of ours very kindly picked up for us at essenspiel uh because we could not go be because we were sad and we Boo. could not go but this we, we we got two games uh that a friend of a of ours muled over to us and we're covering both of them on the podcast. That'd be Mobile Markets and then Great Western Trail, second edition. So none of those are <laughs> review copies. Uh, I, I think if you don't play games with more people, mm. you know, Mobile Markets might be that two-player version that you're looking for because it's probably cheaper. The box isn't that big. It, it's self-contained and it works pretty well. I just felt like Smartphone Inc. maybe had a little bit more depth and was a similar enough game. I feel like Mobile Markets doesn't offer enough new to go mm. someone needs to own both of these if you have smartphone ink no possibly i i struggle to make that comparison because i've only played smartphone ink with four and i've only played mobile markets with two so i don't know mm. i don't know how this would work at four and i don't know how uh smartphone ink would work at two yeah i don't know if that kind of dynamic would shift i just remember when i played smartphone ink there was there were these moments where like it felt like everyone on the table 
had something up their sleeve and you had to outthink every single play. What are they going to do? What are they? And every single time we revealed our like thingamajigs mm -hmm. that, you know, we arranged to give us whatever yeah. bonuses and prizes we're going to get. Yeah. It felt like there was something cool and clever happening on every single player's head. Oh, you're going to mm. do this. Oh, you're going to do that. Oh, and you're going to do this. So what's going to happen, right? There was that mystery. Whereas in a two-player version of smartphoning, mobile markets, I guess, there's just like, am I going to get all the things? Yes or no. And that's sort of what happened. I think that was my least favorite part of the game, where if you didn't go first and everything got hoovered up, mm. then you were kind of stuffed. Yeah. That, that was not your your round. Mm, exactly. uh, and you just had to wait for someone, for, for you, for example, to, to grab everything and then mm. leave nothing behind. And that was frustrating because there was nothing you could do. Like, as soon as you revealed how much you were selling your phones for and you knew that you weren't going first in turn order, mm -hmm. from that point, everything else had to just play out and there was nothing you could do to change any of that. Mm. Like, and, and it wasn't, it's not luck exactly, but that one tiny kind of point, Yeah. everything else hinged on. And, and I didn't like that about it. Because, no. Because I felt like it was the runaway train, you know? Mm. So I, I come to the conclusion with this that I, I like this game, mm. but and I feel like I probably maybe would enjoy it more before. I don't know. Who yeah, knows? maybe. It's entirely possible. But at that player count, I already have smartphone ink. And yeah. I don't see why I would have mobile but markets. I, see, I don't know. In a four-player game, there would be more coming out, right? Yeah. But then also more would potentially be hoovered up. So you would be in the same position as you would in a two-player game. I, I don't think that would change much. I think there would be every round, there would definitely be a person who's stuffed, mm, right? Maybe, But that's, yeah. that's true for smartphone ink as well. I felt like every <laughs> round there was... One person, it's just that that role got distributed a bit more evenly between yeah. rounds. Yeah, maybe. I, I liked it overall. Um, I did like it overall, but if people, I think, unless you you can only play games with two, I think people should take a look at Smartphone Inc. first. Mm. And that, by the way, is a great game. And <laughs> we haven't talked about Smartphone Inc. enough, um, which is a problem. I think we might have to rectify that at some point. Okay. Yeehaw, Efka. Wow, what a start. <laughs> I wasn't very good, I know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm I, I, a... I didn't expect it. I didn't, you just went at me, yeehaw, and I'm like, where's this coming from? I'm oh, not, it's Great Western Trail. I'm not Trail. wearing my tartan shirt today, so I couldn't cowboy it up too much. Mm. Uh, we are talking about a game we have reviewed a long time ago yeah. in the past. Do you remember the sketch we did at the beginning of yes, that I video? Yes, I do, where you milked a, um, I was going to say oven glove, that's not what I mean. It, uh, it was a no, garden uh, glove. Like No, like a washing up glove. Yeah, washing yeah, up glove. Washing I, did, up. I didn't milk it, I cut, I, I filled it with milk, uh -huh. and then I cut the bottom, and it was supposed to, like a cow's udder, deliver the milk yeah, into my cup of coffee. Yeah, I remember, yeah. yeah. But then as soon it as I try work. and cut it, the entire <laughs> contraption falls apart. Yes. Because it was propped up on, uh -huh. a, on a spindle that you put a kitchen roll on, uh -huh, with uh -huh. a skewer. In it. Uh -huh. like it didn't it wasn't great no and it was it, i i i did an american accent like 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 a southern accent something like that you know yeah uh but maybe slightly worse <laughs> i can't believe that uh and dressed up sort of like a cowboy well, you had a tartan shirt on, yeah i had a tartan shirt and, 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 a, and, <laughs> and a cheap cardboard cowboy hat that's true yeah uh, that's true. that was 
that was a long time ago. Many moons have passed since. And now we have second edition. Now we have a second edition of Great Western Trail. Guess what? Still a pretty good game. Yeah. <laughs> Still one of my favorite Euro games out there. And I have to say that I went into this feeling like I haven't played Great Western Trail in a while since the uh, since the expansion came out. Mm. And I was like, do I even enjoy this game still? I don't know. I don't I don't feel so hot about it. <laughs> and I have played it and I was like, whoa. This game this, is good. This game is really good. It's I, still really good. I said to you, oh, I don't remember liking this game very much. And then we uh, played it and I was like, this game's great. <laughs> what was I talking about? I'm a fool. Yeah. No, you you always like Great Western Trail. I think something set onto your memory. Like, you know, oh, it's been some time. We've played so many games uh, since. Is it, is it still good? But yeah, you said to me, oh, I don't like this game very much. I was like, what are you talking about? I remember you <laughs> raving about this game. So there's... There's definitely some love that has been forgotten, but rediscovered as we experienced what is the second edition of Great Western Trail. And for those of you curious, how different is it from the first edition? It's not. It's pretty much the same game mm. uh, with an artistic update and obviously no expansion mm. that you can bolt on uh, to add all the things that the, the expansion for the first edition did. Which is kind of weird. There's there's a couple of things I want to talk about later. I, w I do want to address what Great Western Trail is for those who are not familiar. So Great Western Trail is a pretty complicated game from a designer called Alexander Pfister, whose uh, work we have covered in the past. Uh, we You can find our reviews of Great Western Trail, of Blackout Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and uh, Morakaibo mm -hmm. uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, he's done a bunch of other games as well. Uh, I think... Great Western Trail is still my favorite game of mm -hmm. his. And it's it's a game about uh, building your deck of cows and then <laughs> delivering those cows, cows to a train station where they will be put up on a train and then travel to other cities. Mm -hmm. And then from those cities, you will get money. Uh, how much money will you get? It depends on how good your hand of cows is mm. uh, and what you want to do is essentially you want to as you're going through this trail which is where most of your game happens you stop at various building sites and on those building sites you get to manipulate your hand so for example a building might say discard a black cow get two money you can then spend some more of that money on buying a new cow mm -hmm. that is a better cow uh, because each cow has a value ranging from one all the way to five mm. uh, but it also has different types so for example the level three cows there's there's a blue one a red one and a white one I which mean, i remember is called a black red. angus uh, uh and there's 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 other names of cows that i can't hereford. remember the, hereford yes that's, the, that's purple. the purple one yeah uh -huh. Uh, short horn uh -huh. and there's a long, long horn, horn as well yeah. yeah anyway so there's all these different cows but what you want is when you turn in your hand when you make it all the way through the trail you want to turn in a hand that has a variety of cows so they might have the same value mm. but they have to be different types of cows mm -hmm. so for example there's three different level two cows if your hand is composed of a black level two white green. level two a green level two and then a gray level one cow Wait, creolo or whatever Cre it's yeah that's seven points because all these cows 
have you know different types and their point values add up together whereas if you turned in two black one green yeah. and one gray that would only be five mm. because because the two black double up and they don't count right yes. if that makes sense that's so the puzzle that's the puzzle but there, the are, there are many other overlaying puzzles that yes. go along it because you can build your own buildings onto the trail you can clear hazards you can deal with outlaws you can um get more cows you can hire people you can make your train engine go further mm. meaning you get more money you can stop at various stations you can install your workers into those stations getting various permanent bonuses you have a whole tableau that unlocks secondary actions mm. or double secondary actions or you can get certificates that increase the value of your hand or you can have a higher hand mm. you can walk further there's all kinds <laughs> there's of so things many different happening. little bits yeah I, I want to pick up on uh, the people because yes. you mentioned about buying people. Yes. Uh, so yeah, you can hire people, and they will change the efficiency at which you can do other things, like mm. moving your train. So there is one one of the people. The more versions of that person you get, I don't yeah, know, because they're all the same uh, person. They're all the same person. Yeah. Uh, will let you move your train further, or uh, the various different versions of another person will let you more efficiently build buildings, or the cowboy or the guy with the cowboy hat yeah. the more of him you get the the better efficient efficiency you can buy your cows at um so they all do different things and it i was trying i think to go for one strategy of grabbing loads of the same people mm. but it's not i don't think it's possible i think you have to have a balance of the different people to do the various things i think you have to uh so i i should note the great western trail is not only a pretty popular game mm. uh, a, and a pretty beloved game but it's mm. also a pretty competitive game i know that mm. people obsess about this game in the same way they obsess about terra mystica sure or yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like the strategy guides for it for sure yeah, yeah 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 so people people love playing this game and untangling this game and being mm. good at this game and from what i hear i mean this is this is by now effectively the third edition of great western trail because you had the first edition then the expansion for the first edition brought on balance changes yeah. and then this also i imagine with itself brings on balance changes that will then be further implemented on in the expansion that will reprise the first expansion for the first edition which is inevitably coming out obviously that's confusing um yes but i think it makes <laughs> sense and so there's all these new layers and the one thing you can guarantee us being very good at is not being able to tell you whether any of those are better oh, or worse. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Because for sure. we have no idea, no. because we are not necessarily good at this game. Because we've just played the game. Yeah, we just... We, <laughs> and had some fun. Yeah, we didn't read any strategy guides. No. I, in fact, habitually do not read strategy yeah, guides for same, board games. Actually. That's not a judgment on any people who do. I totally get the appeal. I just get a kick out of board games if I don't. But you know, I was never the type of kid that shook their Christmas presents to see what was in them either. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing for me. Like, I'm going to leave it in the corner until it's time to open it. Yeah. And and with games, I feel the same thing. I, I don't want to find out all the nitty gritty of it until I start playing it and discover it for myself. Mm. And, and yeah, again, like, as you said, it's not a judgment on anyone that does uh, because it's just a different way of, mm. of exploring a game. So here's the thing. For me, I think uh, a big part of exploring the game 
is then talking to the people I've played. And I feel like if I read a strategy guide, I would be robbing someone of that experience because I would be introducing like an alien force onto the table, (laughs) you know, something from the internet that that creeped in and overtook Mm. the conversation. Whereas if we all just experienced the game, let's say for the first time, Mm. right? We sat down, we played it and we went, wow, what happened here? Let's talk. And you don't have to say let's talk because the best games do it organically. And as board game reviewers, myself and Elaine, we play a lot of games and I can guarantee you that 80% of the time we play a game and someone says, well, that's done. And then we step away and we might even leave the room into like separate directions, right? (laughs) And then someone will make a cup of tea. Another person will go wash the face, read a book or whatever, right? We stop playing a game. We've done that part. We have other tasks to get on with because board game reviewing for us is work. And we don't necessarily always talk about the game there and then, especially if we know we're going to talk about it on the podcast because we want to have these conversations a bit more fresh and a bit Mm. sort of less rehearsed. What happened after we played Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, and again, this again, this is a game we've played many times before, mm. you know, a, a long time ago, but we have played it quite a few times. We sat down without prompting each other, and we talked about that game for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But I, I think that was because we played it uh, before so long ago. Like, mm. the first time we played it was so long ago. And... I said to you, like, I wanted to try. I remember the, the first time we played it, I wanted to try and collect cows. That was my whole strategy, was was yeah. having a cow tableau of different uh-huh. cows and trying to That score... was all the way back in whenever, right? Right, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. and trying to score yeah. points from the most different cows. And I did horribly. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to try and do that again mm-hmm. now because have I... You know, with with all the games that I've played and all the all the kind of strategy that has seeped into my brain over the years, mm. am I going to be better at doing that? The answer is no. <laughs> uh, well, you're burying the lead. So we played uh, the second edition. Now we played it twice. Yes. Uh, the first time you stomped me, yes. and the second time I stomped you. But the first time I didn't try and pick a particular strategy. Mm-hmm. Right? I was just playing the game for the game. Yeah. And then the next time when you trashed me entirely, uh, I was trying to collect cows again. But I think I think I need to correct myself from earlier. I, mm. I think probably it is possible to, to win the game by collecting one person. I don't know. Or, or cows but, or whatever. Or cows or whatever. But, but for me, like, that didn't work. I, I mean, that's the thing. This is This is a game that says... Okay, you tried that. That didn't work. But here's all the other ways <laughs> uh-huh. you could try that uh-huh. and maybe make it better. Uh-huh. And I, I found that very appealing. I remember when the game came out, there was a lot of discourse. There were basically three different paths, strategy paths, that are sort of the three arching ways you can try mm-hmm. and play this game. One is building buildings. Right. The second is buying more cows. The third is moving your engine, right? right. And a lot of people were saying... Uh, one of them is overpowered or uh, one of them is not very good, right? And like some people would say, oh, the buildings are not very good. But then you go somewhere else and read, oh, buildings are overpowered, yeah. right? And everyone everyone yeah, had true. opinions, but those opinions frequently clashed with each other. And there was so much conversation about what's actually good, what's actually bad in this game. And it turns out that maybe all of them are pretty good or bad. It mm. depends on how you how, play it. Yeah, yeah, for and sure, yeah. I imagine someone who's played, and I know there's people who played this game like 200 times, they're going to have some opinions <laughs> on what I just said. But 
I don't think that matters. I think Great Western Trail is one of those games that you can spend a lot of time experientially enjoying and trying out different strategies and going like, does this work? How do I refine it? How do, what do I uh, bolt on on top of that core element of, let's say I'm just buying cows, right? What other abilities or, or buildings or stations should I see on the board to make it work? Because not everything comes out every game. There's different buildings, different stations, there's different things, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And uh, different ways the buildings are arranged on the board, right? Right. And I feel like Great Western Trail is a great game for any person who likes to tinker with that sort of mm. stuff and mm. discover for themselves what makes it tick. Oh, yeah. The, when we played that that first game this time... I ended up having to get, uh, take the, so so when I was able to take a pip off my board and put it onto the train track, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to get the one that gave me an extra card. So when I drew my cards, I would get five instead of four, right? Mm -hmm. But I couldn't afford it or I didn't want to afford it. So I ended up taking the one that gave me three money, which let my let me move my person one extra space so I can move mm. them four instead of three. And I thought that was rubbish when I took it, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but oh, okay, but I need the three extra money, whatever. Mm. And it ended up being so good for, for the way that I was playing the game. Mm. And it wasn't purposeful, but it just, it was like fate or so. I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but, yeah. and, and it kind of made me think there are so many different little bits of this engine that you have to tinker with Mm -hmm. and you might get it right you might put the screwdriver in the right place but you also might stick it somewhere and blow a fuse right and you don't know until further down the line i mean Mm. i guess you again like you're saying you probably do if you've played it 200 times you probably know all the ins and outs and every kind of branching path But when you haven't, there is so much to discover. Well, here's the thing, Elaine. There are a lot of Euro games that offer that. There are a lot of complicated games that have a lot of depth, a lot yeah. of, you know, variety and takes you many places to figure out how to be good at it. What's this Great Western Trail apart is that it's fun in spite of that. Because it, I agree. It's, it's fun when you're not even doing well. Because, <laughs> because one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is how the game... Uh, leads you right Mm. Uh, and leading a player is a very fine art that i don't think all designers do well and actually a lot of board game designers do very poorly and i think (laughs) this is alexander fister's best work by a mile precisely because he nailed how he leads people in this game it's a strength um yeah because so um there's a do you know game makers toolkit yeah um so game makers toolkit did this uh video on metroid dread which is a new video game i don't Um, know that but yeah uh and and they were talking about how you know you never get lost in metroid dread because the designers of the game uh, felt like adding all these things to the map design that sort of segments the map and you don't see it but you know you're all you always have about three different places where you can go okay. mm-hmm. uh, because whilst the map is huge there's only like that many places you can go to uh-huh. and it's great because the game artificially leads you into the right directions mm. and you never get lost mm. it's not so great because you don't have a chance to explore and and so what great western trail does i think really really well is that 
it does lead you, it offers you all these tantalizing tidbits that says, oh, hey, if you go here, you discard a card, you get some money, you can do this action. Do you want to do this action? And you go, I don't know. Do I? Maybe. But I could do it and I could try it and things will happen. And you feel like you're being efficient, right? Mm. You feel like you're getting a lot done and cool things are happening. Mm. And because it's a deck building game, and you're drawing cards, there's excitement. Mm. You know, if you discard a card, am I gonna get the right card? I don't know. So there's this sort of like push your luck element. It's tantalizing, it's appealing, and you wanna try things. But the great thing about Western Trail is realizing that you don't always have to do that stuff that the game <laughs> suggests that you should do. Yeah. Because if you follow every little breadcrumb, mm. you're gonna end up doing a lot of nothing, right? Yeah, I guess there's that kind of role-playing element, role-playing game element to yeah. it where, you know, the, the DM says, you, you go into a tavern, do you want to accept this quest? If all the players went, no, not really, we're just going to, you know, go off and do our knitting or something, then the yeah. game would be over. Yeah. Whereas, but what you buy into is you go, yeah, okay, let's accept this quest. And there is that kind of feeling there uh, in Great Western Trail that you could do this or you could do this, but is this better or is this better? I don't know. Yeah, right? and, it's and not binary, it's, right? Right, yeah. it, it doesn't force you to do something, but you want to do the thing because you know, you know you're going to get something from it, right? Mm. Um, and and the, the puzzle or the kind of toss-up, I guess, is what you want to be spending your money on what you want how how far you want to move how quickly you want to turn your cows in do you have the right cows to make the most money or do you just want to get to the cow space where you turn them in quicker than someone else because you want to loop back onto an action that's at the bottom of the trail uh -huh. so you can do it quicker so that you can buy the people quicker so they don't hoover up the cheaper people blah 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 blah, blah. and so on it goes right yeah uh, and, and it's a whirlwind isn't isn't it yes. you feel like the entire two hours or whatever yes. it is you're going to spend playing this you know it, it feels like the game just pulls you through it right yes i i think i have a bit of a confession to make when we played it for the very first time mm -hmm. you did i i think an, a great job explaining the rules but i know i didn't pick them all up mm. right? i know i didn't understand them all i did not understand at all what the train did like it was yeah. just arcane nonsense i uh -huh. just thought nope i'm just not not paying any attention to that this is a euro game i can pick a different strategy and run with it right yeah. that was my thought uh and so that was kind of why i picked the cows because that's what i'd picked up on that yeah. seemed the easiest most straightforward mm. thing and although i did badly i still had a good time mm. balancing my buying of the cows and, yeah. and i that was what you were saying earlier that even if you're not doing that well mm. um it still still feels like a fun time yeah exactly which which is very strange because it, it's the very few game uh, very few heavy euro games mm. i feel are approachable but this, mm. I'm not going to say you can teach it to an eight-year-old because you can't. There's too many moving bits, right? Unless the eight-year-old is very smart. I mean, they have to be incredibly smart. Mm. And that, that's the thing with age. You always say like an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old. One person's ten-year-old is, is not the same <laughs> no. as another's. <laughs> no. Yeah. They might be smarter. They might be less smart yes. uh but this this is a very complex game or their brain might work in a different way yes it might not be that they're less smart it, they might just have a different way of working that's much better thank you uh but you can't teach this to everyone no but someone who's a little bit familiar with games especially deck building if they're already familiar with deck building and if they played a euro game or two you could hmm. sufficiently teach this 
and they might bumble through their first game, but I think like from there on they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. Because once again, there's so many little hooks in this game. It just pulls you and pulls you and pulls you and pulls you. I, I do want to touch a little bit on the differences between mm. the first edition and the second edition. Uh, so first of all, if you own the first edition, and especially if you already own the expansion, I, I would not swap in unless you're very invested into the Great Western Trail franchise, as mm. it were, because what they're doing now is that they're doing two more standalone games. Mm. And I bet each of those standalone games will get their own expansions or whatever. And I'm not sure if there's any crossover compatibility between the standalone versions. Like, can you take some of the things from one standalone version and put it into the other? I don't know. I, I don't know. Mm. But if you have the original Great Western Trail, why buy now? Wait until you know that information. Right. I know board games aren't always available and they sell out, but this is from a pretty big publisher. Yeah, this I, is going to be and in it's stock. it's a popular game. Yeah, yeah, it's a popular game. This is going to be in stock. So don't worry about it. Don't rush to buy this new copy. Um, what is new? The artwork. Yes. And so artistically, the quality is much better. It's by Chris Williams, now a frequent collaborator of Eggage Spiel and Plan B and whatever the Asmodee <laughs> situation is with them right now. Uh, so uh the art's good the cover is no longer these <laughs> weird looking animatronic westworld cowboys there's also some other very minor changes mm -hmm. uh that apart from like very minute balance changes that a few of them i noticed and a few of them i read about but haven't even noticed playing it um this this two slightly when I say more profound additions, I don't really mean that they're profound, but they do add some variety to the game. So first of all, they add the 11th and 12th building tiles uh, for those who have owned the game, the first edition, and then bought the expansion or got the promo mm -hmm. for the 11th and 12th building tiles. They're now added as part of the base game. Which is nice, I think. Yes. And the one new, new gameplay element is the Simmental variant, which yes. I'm pretty sure didn't exist before. I'm not sure how I feel about it, because what it does do is add a bit more variety in terms of adding a new type of cow, which you have to pay more for than a level three cow, and it's a level two cow. However, when you turn it in, if you have it in your hand when you do a turn in at the end of the track, uh, you convert that level two into a level four. And then when you do that again with a level four, it converts into a level mm. five, and it increases in value, increases in points value as mm. well. I don't know how to feel about that and what that does to the strategy of the game. It felt like it allowed avenues where you can focus even less on the cow deck mm. and go, well, I'll just pick this up now. I'll pay for it a little bit more. But by the by the end, I can focus on all these other things like doing trains and doing buildings and I'll have a level five cow anyway. If you can get it early, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I exactly. ended up getting one far too late in the game and it did mm -hmm. not help me Well, you, you didn't. You did convert it to a level... No, I didn't. No, did you not? No, I didn't. Okay. I converted one that I already had. All right, okay. Uh, and then picked up a second one. Which How did, did you know that it was the second one... Because because oh, the first was one was in my discard still. Right. There you go. Well, okay, so that's the that's the differences. Mm. The Simmental variant, which felt nice, had a little bit of variety. Yeah. I don't I don't have much to say about it. I don't know how it affects people who play this game, you know, hundreds of times. <laughs> what good is that to them, whether it is good or bad? I don't know. It felt fun playing it. Mm. That was that's my verdict on the Simmental cow. I like the game overall still. I love it, the game. It hasn't yeah. lost anything over time for me. No, it hasn't. It's it's still it's still really, really, really good. If you haven't gone into Great Western Trail, now might be the time with the new swanky art edition uh, by Chris Williams. Uh, it looks great. It plays great. It feels great. 
and you get to put little plastic hats on your wooden cowboy pieces. <laughs> it's adorable. Uh, that's Great Western Trail, and that has been the 28th episode of the No Pun Included podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash no pun included. That's where we have all our reviews. All of them are there. Uh, video reviews, they're better than these podcast reviews. They're more researched, they're more thorough, they're better written, they're not impromptu. I like them. Uh, we had a recent video, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, on Too Many Bones, which is a big game, and we covered everything in it. Uh, we've also had some uh, excellent little reviews for smaller games lately, like Cascadia and mm. Iberian Gage. Do check those out. And we have another exciting review coming up next week, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I think you want to tune into that one. Uh, also, if you don't want to uh, check out YouTube, you can still find all our videos by going to our website, nopunincluded.com. There are no cookies you have to reject on that website. <laughs> it's a review website where you go on the website and you just get one section of video reviews, the other section, this podcast. You we can also find all our other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, if you go to nopunincluded.com slash podcast, you'll just get all the episodes. Or you, or you can go to nopunincluded.com and click on the latest episode, find more. Um, you can leave a comment if you we would love that we yeah. love reading the comments if you enjoyed anything in this episode that you want to tell people about or discuss more you can always leave a comment uh, otherwise why don't you say goodbye Elaine goodbye Elaine goodbye Elaine